Travis, can you believe it? Two weeks in a row. I mean, one week. I mean, two episodes in a row. It's the same week. Oh, yeah, I guess you're right. Depending on when this comes out. But yeah, <laughs> at the very least, two weeks in a row. Two weeks in a row for the listener. For us, I guess it is the same week. But uh, welcome to the At the Shock Center podcast with uh, Martin and Travis. We were going to have a special guest join tonight, but uh, I think he fell asleep. I think uh, he probably had to feed his baby. That's my guess. Oh, yeah. That's, that'll tire you out. <laughs> yes. So I've heard. I don't know. I, I'll probably get a message from him. What did you call me? I did call you, dude. Just on the record, on the show, I called. You didn't pick up. <laughs> uh, anyways, we, uh, we have two books to talk about. Well, uh, kind of two books. We're going to go in-depth into Lonely Receiver number four and the final issue of Disaster, Inc., but there is also a one-shot book uh, that I'm going to briefly talk about because Travis didn't have time to read it, but I thought it was fantastic, uh, Cullen Bunn's new book, Piecemeal, so uh, we'll do that. But first, Travis, we have a new book announcement. Oh, really? Oh, really, we do. I'm going to dig it, I'm pretty sure, even though I'm not a D&D fan. Oh, wait, spoilers! Uh, Bequest, brand new book from Aftershock. Written by Tim Seeley, with art by Freddie Williams II, and this is coming out March 17th, and uh, it looks awesome. It's basically uh, a world in which uh, D&D is reality, and the fantasy world has this group of, I guess we can say people, they, they look like they might be elves, and, uh, and a dragon, and, uh, and fairies, and others. Uh, but they, they have this group that they put together to stop the black market sale of magical artifacts on Earth, uh, people stealing stuff from this D&D fantasy world and bringing it to Earth and selling it. So it uh, should be cool. That's uh, that's exciting, man. Yeah, man. You're, you're not a D&D fan, though? Uh, I Listen, I have played D&D uh, about three hours in my life, and, mm-hmm. that, and that was this year. I see. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I've, I, I haven't even played D and D. Like, I've played a few like role playing games, like including like the the Valiant role playing game. Sure. Uh, and uh, yeah, like not good at it. Um, <laughs> and obviously, so much just depends on the dungeon master for or sure. Whatever you, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, like the Valiant master or whatever. The Valiant <laughs> whatever master. You call it. Yeah, uh, I, and don't get me wrong. I, I mean, I love fantasy stuff, and I love role-playing games, but my, my personal experience with role-playing games is through video games, not through mm-hmm. actual physical role-play, if well, that makes sense. the same kind of, of, like, you know, like, you roll a, a dice and, and, like, probability yes. takes hold, and, yeah. Sure. Okay. Okay, yeah, so it's, yeah. Yeah, so it's the same thing. Yeah, I mean, same concept. Uh, so I mean, I'm I'm very familiar, obviously, with the D and D realm. Even though when I when I played in real life recently, uh, I, I had a lot of fun. Don't get me wrong, but apparently I messed up my character because there were apparently uh, prerequisites on how to uh, upgrade <laughs> your characters, and I didn't understand how the scoring system worked, and my character was a little op. A word. Oh yeah. Mm. Yeah. But he was awesome. He was a very, <laughs> he was a very mysterious dark elf. 
Oh, I was going to ask what kind. Okay, yeah. All right. Yeah, I, I always have a propensity for elves, in particular dark elves, uh, because then you can get really kooky. But uh, I'm a huge fan of Lord of the Rings, so uh, elves is always my jam. Yeah, no, elves is good. Yeah, you know, I might go, you know, I don't know, dwarf or, you know, like <laughs> a bard, maybe. You know, everybody sure, needs a sure, bard. Sure. Yeah, of course. Make new songs. Yeah, like I, I have not played and I'm not good at it, but I like pop culture, like send ups and representations of, mm-hmm. of which there are many. Yes. You know, and like in comic book realm, like I feel like, uh, what's it called? The, uh, the Rafer Roberts Modern Fables. Oh, yeah. Uh, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever. Modern Fantasy. Uh, yeah, so it's like that stuff is fun. Um, so I, I don't know if that's what they're doing for this, but. Sure, we'll see. There's uh, there's some Puri images. They look good. I uh, I enjoy Freddie Williams' art, and uh, of course they worked together on uh, oh god, what was that book? Injustice versus Masters of the Universe. Nice, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That was uh, I think like two years ago maybe that that came out. Yeah, a lot of fun. Uh, so I I enjoy yeah, I enjoy that's his art. a year of COVID though. So oh, like, that's true. So like that so it was thirty years ago. Five or six at least. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I enjoy his art quite a bit, and uh, of course Tim Seeley is uh, no stranger to Aftershock, so that's exciting. Bequest. Friend of uh, the podcast. Yes, for sure. So uh, yeah, that's the the book announcement. Happy to see new books being announced always, Travis, because in these crazy times, one never knows what's going to happen. <laughs> yes. yes. No, I mean, that's that's what you got to do is like keep people excited, keep, you know, rolling new stuff out, you know like cycling mm-hmm. it through so yes yeah yeah for sure let's uh let's dive into the books man i'm gonna i'm gonna give you a basic uh gist of uh piecemeal uh like a 30 second pitch and uh i don't know if you know this travis but i i'm a huge horror fan did you know this have you heard of this before that i like horror nah, books doesn't sound right all right tell me this doesn't sound fantastic we have cullen bunn writing we have simon kudronsky on art and colors and Marshall Dillon on letters. Perfect team. Yeah. And I got to tell you, uh, you know, we, we obviously love Black Eyed Kids when Simon was doing the art on that book. But, uh, man, there's like, there's some upmanship in this issue, buddy. Wow. You, you get that obvious, like, very distinctive Simon Kadarcy style. But uh, it's it's even darker than uh, than Black Eyed Kids was. Um, I think it, it feels a little more cinematic in the the structure of the pages i think uh much bigger panels uh, a lot more dynamic uh structure to the paneling in in this book and uh, i think it's a 48 page special so it's not quite like uh you know the the book that we had last uh last episode kill a man the the giant uh ogn but uh, but it is an oversized issue and uh, and i loved it man because one thing that i really love about cullen is that cullen understands like how horror works uh there's a lot of horror comics uh, on the market and uh and yeah, most of them are actually really good surprisingly but uh but very few people like really get what horror like where it stems from uh, as cullen does and and this feels very much like a like a lovecraftian story it uh, it involves a group of kids that have just graduated high school and they're about to head to college, so they're you know hanging out in their town or whatever, 
and they decide to go to this haunted mansion that was supposedly uh there was like um some devil worshipping guy that lived there and killed people and uh, and when they get there they find a brain in a jar and they all freak out they leave but uh but one of the kids comes back and and grabs the brain in well in the jar not just grabs the brain out of the jar and uh, and brings it home and he lives with his grandfather his grandfather is uh he's got dementia it seems and uh, it turns out that the dementia may be caused by the fact that uh, he knows whose brain it is. And uh, that leads us down this crazy Lovecraftian story. So um, obviously being a comic, uh, as opposed to just a, you know strict fiction like Lovecraft would do, you have a lot of um, images and, and art that you can look at. But the, the way that the atmosphere is set in this book uh, reads very much like Lovecraft. Uh, I just watched uh, a really interesting take on the color out of space. I watched a German film called Yes. The... Not not the uh, Nicholas Cage book. Nicholas Cage. Not that uh, one. Boo. I I haven't seen that one. I I assume it's fine, but uh, but I watched a really great one called Die Farbe, which means the color in German, uh, and it is a German film, mostly in German. Uh, there is some English, uh, especially at the beginning. But it's a, kind of a retelling of the color out of space in uh, like a post World War II Germany, and uh, and it was fantastic. And like they nailed the atmosphere. It's mostly black and white, except of course for whatever the mystery is uh, that is in color, because of course it has to be. It's the color out of space, and uh, and this reminds me a lot of of the way that Lovecraft writes in in the heavy use of atmosphere. And uh, kind of having this narrator telling things in, in a very verbose fashion. Uh, the difference being here is that uh, there's a lot of dialogue, unlike in, in a lot of Lovecraft stuff. And and it's going to be a, a segue kind of into the, the first book we're going to talk about. But uh, I just want to throw that out there. If you're a horror fan, I cannot recommend this book enough. It's it's absolutely incredible. And, uh, I mean, it's Cullen Bunn, so there you go. So five out of five. Uh, but I, I do hope you can read it, and uh, maybe next time we record, you can chime in a little bit and see what you thought about it. Thank you, man. Yeah, I uh, got that. I mean, that sounds so great. Um, I, I honestly didn't get a chance to get to it at all, and I mean that that sounds right up my alley. And I agree with everything you said about Cullen. You know, the the dude knows horror, um, so I'm definitely looking forward to that, and I do reserve my right to discuss it <laughs> at length. Uh, very good, very good. Uh, that does lead us to our first kind of uh, group discussion of the week, and that is Lonely Receiver number four. This is, of course, written by Zach Thompson. We have art by Jen Hickman and letters by Simon Boland. And this will be an interesting discussion, Travis, because, mm. uh, you know, if you have kids in the room, maybe cover their ears or tell them to uh, go to bed. They shouldn't be listening to us talk anyway, but uh, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of booby and vagina in this book, Travis. Yeah, and, I mean there's uh, some dick too. There there is there is also some dick, and uh, and maybe some uterus. I mean there is something. I don't I don't know. There may what? there may be a giant uterus slash testicle monster. Yeah. No. Thank you. Yeah. Um. You didn't bury the lead. <laughs> I mean that's what I'm here for, not to bury the lead, but uh, but we'll get to that. So um, I was wondering what the hell that is, dude. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. 
Okay. And uh, but but I wanted to do this after I talked a little bit about piecemeal because for me I think Zach is also one of these writers that um, that has very specific tastes in, in what he likes and uh, you know we've seen some sci-fi from him at AfterShock and uh, and we've talked a lot about that because he and I share a great love for you know Asimov and Philip K Dick for example. And and it shows in the kinds of stories he tells and and what he writes. And of course, his, you know, one of the first books that kind of brought him into mainstream comics uh, was a body horror book. And this is also a body horror book. So it's something that he obviously loves and enjoys doing. And uh, and I think he's really good at it. And and in many ways, this book also feels kind of like a a Lovecraftian uh, tale. You know, in a, in a subgenre of horror with body horror, uh, but in the fact that it it heavily deals with uh, something that he's also very familiar with in um, dealing with emotional trauma and the descent into madness, and uh, and that's something that I really love. That's one of the reasons I really love Lovecraft, uh, regardless of you know certain opinions that uh, people may have about him as a person because he was um admittedly a racist uh but even mm-hmm. through that and i'm talking about lovecraft not zach by the way uh but even through that in in terms of judging him by the quality of his work um he he nails the the way to create atmosphere uh which is obviously very important in in fiction when you're writing just with words and and when you have a comic book you're you're able to add a new layer to that and and I think that says a lot about Jen's work in this issue as well, because I could only imagine. I mean, I don't know what what Zach's scripts look like, um, but you know, to to have to describe some of the things that you see in some of these panels, and and for her to actually make that work with the way the dialogue interacts with the image that you see on on, on the page, I think is a, a really terrific job. And and she also nails that sense of atmosphere. Uh, that you get as this character is kind of narrating her her descent into madness, or rather, into um, into vaginas. So give me something, Travis. What you got? <laughs> Was that a lot? Was that too much? <laughs> what vaginas? Descent into vaginas. <laughs> is that too much? Uh, is that a, does that get us kicked off of iTunes? Will Joe Pruitt be extremely angry at us? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. G- give me some thoughts on uh, Lone Receiver number four. Um, okay. Uh, you know, what I would say is that, you know, to hear you frame it like that kind of really does actually speak to a, a lot of things that I do like, you know, um, like, now that that you're putting in that context, it kind of does maybe put me in mind of Cronenberg type uh, stories. Yes. Um, like you know, the thing maybe even kind of looks like the the device from Existence. Yes. Uh, you're, I, you're talking I, about the little gun. Uh, oh, the, the 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 Jack. The, yeah. Yes. The, the game thing that like again like looks like genitalia. Uh, yeah, and actually it was interesting, right? Because the the device that she gets into uh, involves uh, entering a gimp suit and then hanging on an S and M swing. Yes. Yes. 
continue. Yes. Um, so that that definitely like seeing it seeing it all through that lens, um, you know, like actually does kind of make me appreciate it a lot more. Mm. And uh, I also, you know, you you kind of mentioned something that that clicked with me, which is like watching a character's descent into madness. Yes. Uh, uh, and I would add also addiction. Um, you know, like, like in terms of the, the narrative, but, um, like, I think maybe that's part of, of some of my struggle with this book. And I, I mentioned to you offline that, you know, last night I had to read like the last four issues just to try and, and remember what had happened, you know, Mm, like, like, because I, because I, I first read this issue and I was like, wait, what's happening? Like, like I, I've never really fully understood exactly what was happening. And like to hear specifically the idea that maybe, you know, like we're seeing an unreliable narrative for like from a person who is crazy. And so like things like a character who's introduced, who looks like exactly like another character, you know, whatever, not Ryan's name was, you know, right. Uh, like Claire, maybe it's something with a C. Yeah. yeah. Like to like, I didn't know what to make of all that, you know, like, and, but the idea that maybe she's just obsessed and going crazy and was seeing something that wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, I don't know. Like I, that, that I do like that explanation of what's happening, you know? Well, you know, and it's funny because we, before we started recording, uh, I asked you what book you wanted to do first, and you recommended we do this one. Um, and and my comment to you was something I'm going to repeat now: in that every time we pick a book to go first because we're not sure how the discussion will go or or what it is that we have to say, that book ends up being the book that we have to say the most about. Uh, and I find that really interesting. And and I think that's always true of Zach's work. He's he's a really terrific writer, and uh, and I wish he'd write a lot more stuff. But uh, you know, I think there's a couple interesting things that you said on there in terms of, uh, of, of you know, the idea of descent into madness and, and mental illness um, and, and hallucinations of, of the world around her. Uh, because, she, she's, you know, she's kind of going into this it, – it's kind of like a, uh, like a pirate virtual reality world, right? Because she's being disconnected from the mainframe, and, uh, and that's the guy that we see. He puts her into this world and, and has her – you know bathe herself in this green lube uh so that uh, so that she won't be detected when she goes into this virtual world and and she's obviously there for for many months and you see that in in the time dates i think it it's at least 6 months maybe longer that she's doing this and uh you know this is actually kind of an interesting synchronicity and this is kind of always the way it works out uh on on my other podcast i do a, a non comic book podcast and uh, one of the things that I've explored a lot recently is this idea of uh, of experience seeking, and uh, you know, trying to make yourself yourself feel better by trying to acquire new experience. And and obviously that is particularly, I mean, you could say troublesome, maybe not, maybe it's part of the healing process uh, when when somebody's dealing with heavy loss, like the character here is, because you know her her partner died. And um, and so you can go into this descent into madness where you 
begin seeing the world in such a completely different way. And, you know, we we as a modern society, we don't have any way to interpret any of these states and experiences. Right. Um, you know, more more ancient cultures and you could even say maybe more primitive cultures actually have a place in their society to deal with people that have mental illness. Uh, you know, a lot of times like shaman uh, might have schizophrenia, for example. Right. That's how they're able to uh, much more easily see the the other realm right like ghosts or entities or demons or angels or anything else and and there's a place in society for those people to express their view on reality and and in modern society we don't have that right you you have one view that's instilled to you from very early on and and obviously there's like differences uh, by different cultures and you know where in the country you are or different countries different uh, continents but but you have an an idea of what reality is supposed to be like and and when you can't mesh your personal experience with that reality is when people go into these panic states and and oftentimes they go even deeper into panic and and depression and schizophrenia uh, often leading to suicide because they don't really have the the language and symbology to allow them to express what they see uh, because people will think they're crazy, right? And and how can you help somebody that's in such a deep state if they know that if they go to somebody else, they're not going to understand, right? And and so her way of dealing it uh, with, with this death is by going into this virtual reality world of incessant orgies, right? Uh which of course makes sense, right? There's a lot of people use some kind of sexual escapism uh, in order to deal with their own uh, inner desires and 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 trauma sometimes, right? You might turn to the sex or drugs or alcohol or any of these other things, uh, maybe gambling, whatever, something, some experience that that helps you separate from from the craziness that you're undergoing, and and I find that interesting. And you know, you and I have talked a little bit about psychedelics before. Uh, that's kind of what, what you're doing when you take psychedelics also right uh with with the difference being that when you can undergo a, a psychedelic state you can be a little bit more in control of of your setting uh, right where you're doing it who you're doing it with and and the kind of experiences that you're doing them if you use that as as a kind of psychological therapy if you will uh, not just merely to like go to a party and have a good time and uh and i think a lot of that is expressed obviously in very much in genre right in this body horror genre in this book and and as a result of that like i i love this book i know you you read the whole series just to get caught up and remember things i uh, i began reading this book and i had no need to go back and read anything previous uh because for me the the experience that i gathered just from this issue alone was enough for me to understand what this character was going through and the reason why did it really matter, even though it is stated in the book a couple of times? Cool. Uh, is this podcast that... getting too deep for a comic book podcast? No, I mean that that was that was a lot, man. Um, and I I heard it all, and uh, you know, like like I, I'm on board with all that. Um, but let me let me just respond by saying that I I think that this book kind of like 
thinking about like the the different things that it implicates or or like suggests like like i don't know we were just talking about kind of you know like i i feel what we're seeing the character the last two issues like has analogy it could be analogy for you know sex addiction Mm -hmm. uh or you know just kind of any any kind of addiction tech addiction it's a phone you know um like also you know the the kind of black uh, whatever we're we're gonna you know like the apparition who speaks weird you know like the black outline thing like the gimp yes yeah like i feel like like that might perhaps like that's kind of an analogy for like an std you know Mm. it's like something you brought back from the the green which is basically an orgy you know like Uh um you know and like she doesn't really like totally succumb or whatever it's actually like goes down on like that thing right right yes you know so like i think that drives home the idea and it was something that was implicated in the last i think it was the last issue where the new girl is freaking out about like i could have you know like i you could have infected me you know mm-hmm. like um so like i i feel like that's obviously in the mix as far as like what this thing is speaking to you know um, yeah 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 yeah, so like I, I don't know, I think it's pretty expansive in its you know scope, and obviously you're also kind of dealing with like whatever you, you know mental illness or or just kind of like you know coping with with a trauma or you know like wherever whatever we're saying is going on with like the the main character, you know, it's like there's there's more than one thing that's that's happening to her, you know. Yeah, and see, this, um, this is why I like chatting with you about these books, uh, in particular books that go a little bit deeper than just a standard comic, and of, of course, a lot of aftershock comics do. Uh, but but in terms of the the image of the gimp that you're talking about, uh, and I think I might have mentioned this when we talked about the first issue, and and it's been you know 30 years since uh, since that came out, um, not literally, but uh, because of COVID, and. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> but but I think I mentioned it then, uh, and and I think it's it becomes more apparent to me now. Uh, but but I find it interesting how you and I have uh, slightly different, we'll say very different approaches to our understanding of the way the world works, and uh, and, and to me it was just like just such an obvious younging thing, uh, like a, a literal manifestation of the shadow, right? Uh, okay. Which uh, which is perfect for this book uh, when you take it into the context of mental illness and and descent into madness because as part of her healing process she has to learn to identify with with this dark self that resides within her right these these bad feelings that she has as a result of of her partner dying she needs to become aware of those things and learn to integrate those feelings into herself. And and the way that that's interpreted in this issue is she after you know undergoing all these VR therapy sessions she ends up going down on the gimp right uh, quite mm-hmm. literally uh, but of course you know you can take that as a metaphor for this idea of of learning to integrate the the shadow archetype into yourself 
And and for me, I found that really fascinating as well. Yeah, I mean, like, kind of, a, again, I feel like there is an interesting interplay between, you know, like, what, you know, what is happening with a character, like, within their own, like, brain meat, mm-hmm. and, and, like, what is happening as a result of a kind of intrusive, like, like electronic, like, system that that is connected to their nervous system you know like and then yeah. like like there's kind of no there's really no indicators here about like where one stops and another begins um yeah it probably yeah. doesn't matter i just find it interesting well and, and and again i think uh you know last episode and this one we're we're going like real deep uh into things uh that probably way deeper than most comic fans care to listen to but uh but i think i think it's apropos and i think it's interesting and you know you you talk about the difference between brain meat and being in like in the simulation right and feeling these electrical impulses and and ultimately like there really is no difference right because your that's how your brain works your brain works through electrical impulse sure yeah i've seen the matrix <laughs> Come on, bro. It's science. Yeah, matrix science. <laughs> no, real science. <laughs> <laughs> real life science. No, I'm. Uh, yeah, no, I like. But that's what the matrix is about. I'm just saying. Like, sure, 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 sure. Sure. <laughs> um. Yeah. 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 Okay. I, I let me let me lighten it up real quick. It was so funny. I was reading this, and right before she goes into the the simulation. Uh, she talks about um, what she say. Oh, here it is. Uh, begin the confluence of descent. Dive below the thicket into the underbrush. And and do you want to know why? I, what I thought about immediately for some reason, as this <laughs> naked woman covered in green lube is hanging in an S and M swing. Earmuffs. Okay, go on. <laughs> for some reason, it reminded me of uh, the Chronicles of Riddick. Did you ever see that oh, movie? Yeah. My wife's favorite movie. Is it? Uh, I think Pitch Black. <laughs> Pitch Black is her favorite movie. But but but. Uh, but but in Chronicles of Riddick, they have these like uh, space traveling conqueror magician people, uh, and and one of the things that they always say is, uh, oh god, what is it like till till Underverse come, and and when I saw like Into the Underbrush, that's what it reminded me of. I was like, oh yeah, to underverse come. Anyways, continue. Yes. No, I okay. Um yeah, so like I you really I think ha- have done uh a lot to to pull me on board and, and and like get me attuned to what is is happening because I I don't know, like like I I I really feel like I am on board now, but what I will say is that it, it's it like it's not necessarily the easiest read, and yes. I, I I feel like at, at a lot of points I was very disoriented. Mm-hmm. And, and I, th- I, think I think that's I think you're meant to be. Yeah, you're meant to be. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's but it's just like that's again like adds to you. You have to buy into it, and not everybody is going to get it. Case in point, me. Okay. <laughs> Yes, yes, I know what you mean. Uh, but see, this is why I like doing the show, because Aftershock is always willing to take chances on these kind of books. 
right? Like you, you maybe you might see this over at Image or maybe at Boom or something like that. But like you know, DC or Marvel would never do a book like this, right? And uh, and so obviously the, I, I think there there's obvious crossover because you and I both love big two books and image books, etc. But uh, but I think there is uh, always a market for for books like this and and some of the other ones that we go like really deep into. And and to me that makes it a lot more fun to discuss because like there's only so much you can say about a superhero book, right? Like ultimately it's kind of the same plot every time. But when you get down into these books that dive into aspects of the mind or archetypes, etc., I think it uh, y- you can go down a deeper level, and they'll never sell as much. Uh, but that's why I'm here to explain the crazy, bro. Yeah, I mean, for me, I always I think hope for something below the surface, you know, even in a superhero book you know like mm-hmm. in in all my in all my valiant books like i'm i'm reading it hoping that there's like something there thematically that that it, you know is separate apart from the plot and etc you know like i think it you should always strive for it to be about something more than whatever you know like capes yeah, and cows yeah. Well, um, and and especially now, right? As as the comic book demographic gets older and older, you can't just do like bad guy beat up or good guy beat up bad guy, right? Like if it was just a kids book, then maybe you could still do that. Uh, but because comic book readers are older, you have to tell the story in a way that will appeal more to those people. And obviously, people with more experiences, you have to have a more involved story. So yeah, that is true of, of even comic book stories or, or superhero stories um continue yeah and and obviously you know the big two are are subject to kind of uh censorship type uh restrictions that indie publishers are not you know like like or or they they choose to not put out anything like this to your point so yeah it's it's like the domain of the the indie publishers and you know like yeah like it's again what you should be trying to do everything you're doing should be trying to say something so like this is a big big swing mm-hmm. and i feel good I, I don't know do you want to rate it up uh yeah let's rate it up uh oh before we rate it up let's talk about the monster oh <laughs> oh no Okay, because I, it's it's not very clear what it is, okay, and and it you kind of like see it grow as the issue progresses, right? Because it parts of it show up in in multiple panels, and then you see this thing just like show up, and and I didn't really know what it was, but judging on the themes of the book and some of the language used uh, right before it's presented, it kind of became obvious to me and you know if zach's listening maybe he can tell us otherwise but it seems to be like it's a like an amalgamation of male and female internal organs right and like not just a penis and a vagina but like uterus and testicles and all the the tubes surrounding that uh, all the pipes and uh and that's what it was because there's there's some mention about kind of this uh I don't think the word hermaphrodite is used, but but something to the effect of like this uh, hermaphroditic state uh, that she she can achieve. 
and and that also goes along with this whole idea of of integrating the the shadow self um so she's she's able to integrate these two parts of herself into this one giant monster who who talks to her but the, but the monster is kind of an aspect of herself right like this this new created being out of her her ability to begin to heal the trauma that she's created for herself well yeah what i what i would say is that like specifically what it's what it references is a union of person and receiver yes so that to me suggests that the like whatever shadow thing is a receiver like the the titular receiver right like the book oh, is the lonely receiver right yeah because she's a receiver the the androids are called receivers okay cool yeah so huh i don't know like whatever it is it, like i'm assuming that you know what's her name is the person and whatever is the like the shadow thing is the receiver so maybe that is ryan oh i got you huh i don't know yeah it could be could be I, I saw that more as part of, of Claire. I, I think it's Claire. We'll just call her Claire. Uh, I, I saw that more as an aspect <laughs> of Claire. Um, and, and it doesn't mean that it couldn't have pieces of Ryan either, right? Uh, because oftentimes the this, this shadow archetype uh, is or, or can be an amalgamation of other things, right? Because you're, you're projecting your own insecurities on others. Uh, you know, they, you might think somebody's totally nuts and, and a complete a-hole – uh, but that's just because you don't know that person, right? They could be the nicest person in the world, but but you you tell a story about what this person's like, and so you project your own insecurities onto them. And so so even though it is ultimately like an, an inner mental aspect of of Claire herself, uh, there are elements of Ryan, and and it could be any other people that she's interacted with as well. Yeah, well the 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 shadow, um, what's it called, uh, archetype. Um, yeah, like that, that is definitionally like a part of yourself, right? Yes. It's like the the things that you suppress and deny, um, that, that still exist. Yes. Yeah. I listen to tool, bro. (laughs) I love tool. (laughs) Tool is my favorite band. Oh, word. Yeah, for sure. Oh yeah, dude. For sure. Uh, and, and sometimes it switches between uh, between Tool and Radiohead, but but I think right now it's still Tool. Yeah, My Chemical Romance. Yeah, I know I know how you roll. I do love My Chemical Romance, dude. I I have a, a soft spot for um, early two thousands uh, hardcore emo rock. I feel you, man. Yeah, for sure. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> and new metal and ska and yeah. Yeah, all of it. Oh man, I I spent like three hours listening to ska the other night. It was so awesome. It took me back to like I don't even know what that was, sixth grade maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, let's rate it up, man. What, what'd you think? Okay. Uh, after all this, I think that I am gonna go a four point two five out of five. That's great. I'm going to go with uh, 4.5 out of 5. Totally up my alley. You know what should, we know what should happen is I should just go around conventions uh, convincing people to buy uh, these crazy alternative books. Because I keep convincing you of how awesome all these books are, even though at first you're not so sure. 
I mean, you need a captive audience, dude. I don't know, like, or you need a a ironclad gimmick, you know? Because mm. most people, like, like approached by a random person, <laughs> <are just> like, <laughs> get away! <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah like, for it's sure. Okay, I'm just trying to sell you something. Get away! <laughs> no, for sure. I hear you, man. I hear you. Uh, all right, let's go to the final book of the evening and the final book of the series as we talk about Disaster Inc. number five. This is, of course, written by Joe Harris. We have art by Sebastian Paris and letters by Carlos Mangual. Travis, I've talked mm. too much this episode. Talk to me about Disaster Inc. Yeah, okay, so, uh, you know, in a nutshell, um, basically this issue, you know, we open up with uh, Abby and one of the, the dudes from the trip, and, and they're, you know, trying to stay alive, I guess, and, and uh, you know, radiation is wafting around, so like a helicopter may or may not have gone down, um, and, uh, you know, it, it comes to light, like Abby kind of offers up that, you know, a, a year or two ago she got popped uh, on one of these trips to like an abandoned oil rig um, mm. and turned witness or, or whatnot cooperative to the state. Yes. Um, unclear maybe what exactly that entails. Entailed. Yeah. Uh, but like. You, you know, it's it's a plot point, and uh, you know, basically, subsequent to that, uh, the company sends in a bunch of, um, you know, like the Fukushima nuclear company just sends in a bunch of people, and you know, they kind of are trying to to contain the radiation samurai, and they they figure out a way to set up a containment field and shut them down, uh, but meanwhile. You know, they're evacuating uh, Abby and, uh, you know, Paulo, the the boss, gets bound. And, I, you know, I think that he's dead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's this issue in a nutshell. Yeah, I think. I'm not so sure. Cause doesn't he show up at the end? So I don't know if that was kind of just like, hey, here's what Paulo's been doing uh, or if it was somebody else. But I thought it was Paulo that shows up towards the end. I think the last page is Paulo, and I feel like the implication is that they're trying to say, yeah, the, like there's flamethrowers. So, so <laughs> they flamethrowered him like they did other people like previously in the series, I think, right? You yeah, know, it's like they, everybody gets flamethrowers. Yeah, know? for sure, for sure. Um, so it's, you know, notable that, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's because they recognized Abby and they were like, oh no, she's, like she's a witness or whatever, you, you know. Like we, like she doesn't need to die, right? Like yeah, because we'll they they take her, her away in, in the in the in lead cell, and, and mm-hmm. if she's too radioactive, then we'll light her up. Yes, uh, I want to before I I give you my two cents, I I want to make a statement uh, that's gonna sound like I hate this book, but that but then I'm gonna explain myself because uh, I actually really enjoy this book quite a bit. Mm. There's um. You know, there's there's different ways to tell stories, right? And and, and like the two main ways would be a character centric story, and then the other one being a story centric story. And 
you know, ha- having gone through this whole series, these, all these five issues, um, you don't really get an explanation of the samurai. I mean, there's like a word balloon uh, explaining it towards the end of this issue, uh, but that's mm-hmm. it, right? They're just kind of monsters in the background. And, um, and in some ways that feels less than satisfying because like you, you don't get to solve the mystery. But uh, with that said, I think that really is the, the purpose of, of the story. Uh, did you read the letter from Joe Harris at the end of the issue? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it real quick because this will be pertinent to the conversation. Uh, he says, uh, it feels weird to say thank you for checking out Disaster Inc. As the concept still makes me dirty. There were times I had to temper my own childhood love of samurai culture and movies with reminders of the voyeurism and insensitivities Western thrill seekers and profiteers often trade in. Uh, then he talks about the disaster and, and his personal experience. Since almost that time, like so many calamities before it and since, is that it has attracted disaster tourists. I hope you enjoyed seeing them frightened, hunted, and slaughtered by Fukushima's protectors. And and I think that kind of uh, really gets down to the purpose of the story, right? Because we, we've been following this crew as they escape you know, radiation and, and these ghost samurai and uh, them backstabbing each other and, and you finding this whole thing in the background about her being uh, an informant for the government etc and and ultimately all those things are important to get through the story uh but but really the story isn't about that at all uh it's about giving this message of uh you know western culture is kind of um it's kind of effed up and uh and and sometimes we just need to tell these stories in order to uh, learn to cope with a particular aspect of our experience and and i think that's very much on theme with tonight's episode because that that is one of the central themes of piecemeal and and obviously as we just talked about for you know 40 minutes uh, on a book that we didn't think we'd talk about 40 minutes with in lonely receiver uh, that's a, a key aspect of that book as well and so uh it, it's nice to have a, a themed week this week travis uh as we uh wrap this series up but sure. uh but yeah it, it was interesting right and and i think to to joe's point that's ultimately what it's about and and to kind of call back to something i said earlier that's kind of the point of horror and and it's an aspect that we briefly discussed last week when we talked about knock em dead elliot's book uh the the point of horror and of comedy is basically the same and and it's to learn to kind of integrate uh some kind of extraneous trauma into our own experience and make it seem okay sure um i i i do like framing the the series in that way because you you are right that that they do make a conspicuous uh you know statement in the issue that you know they're here defending their lands you know even though the, the land is ruined forever basically sure um i i i feel like it maybe gets slightly confused and that you know like like kind of what is their their criteria for who is invading you know mm. like you know they they killed for instance like uh a, like a scientist earlier in the series right when he was going to like look for a lost drone or something yeah yeah yeah. you know like like 
So he's an invader, but, you know, like, they did not kill uh, Abby when she was there, you know? And she seems like much more in, of an invader with, with ill intent than, <laughs> like, a scientist or, you, you know, like, the the employees for the company who show up and, and contain them or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. It I feel like maybe it would be interesting if they included kind of some extra framing to the effect of like like just to put it in a larger context like like if there was a a couple panels or something that was like oh yeah like this happens not not infrequently you know like like there's been such a hot disaster tourism spot you know and it's like usually this is how it goes is Mm. you know like they get sliced up by the ghosts or uh or we'd light them up on fire. Yes. Um, like it just, just a little, a little bit more of that may, maybe would have put it a little bit more in context. Like, and maybe as far as the, the samurai's criteria as for who they're trying to kill versus not, that's, I think that's the only thing I'm trying to grapple with. Yeah, I gotcha. And, you know, to, to be the contrarian, I, I actually prefer it this way. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, to go back to this Lovecraftian horror, one of the things that I really enjoy about old horror, uh, and, and old, like even like 20th century, right? When you look at, uh, horror films in the, the fifties and the sixties, or even something like the thing, right? Which came out, I think in like 79 or 80, something like that, uh, which is a direct rip of, of, of a Lovecraft story, but that's uh, beside the point. Um, one of the things that I prefer is to not see the monster until the end, right? And and one thing that I really like is when you are able to tell this compelling story and, and you get to know these characters and, and experience them going through these crazy things, and there really is no resolution at the end. And And I think for this book, it seems from what Joe says that that's kind of the point. Um, because, see, in, in real life when you have things like this happen, there is no like closure or, or proper resolution a lot of the times. And and so we often turn to to fiction to kind of like make us feel better about the world, right? Because the world's kind of a scary place. And you know, in Western society we forget that kind of thing. Because we, we don't have that experience, right? It's like when I every time I go into the woods for, you know, three or four days uh, and and spend time by myself. I always get either before I leave or when I come back. Well, aren't you like freaking out? Aren't you like scared that a bear's gonna attack you and kill you? Like, no, I'm not scared of it, right? Uh, it's just kind of part of the experience. If there's a bear there, then uh, you know, sure, I gotta be careful. But uh, but it's part of the experience, and we've kind of lost all touch of that kind of thing in in the way that we've structured society and. And maybe in some cultures you you don't have that, right? So it's it's more okay to have a story where not every bow is neatly wrapped and tied, and and I'm cool with that. I actually I prefer that because it seems a little more realistic in a sense. Yeah, no, I I hear you, man. Um, like you know, and, and I get I get that it's always a trade off, always when you're telling a story between like you know. How how obvious do I have to make this to people? You know, <laughs> sure, but like, some, but some people really like that, right? Some people really like the obvious. 
Yeah. I mean, like, there, there's always going to be trade-off, you know, be, because, like, depending... And, and it depends on who, who you, you perceive your audience to be and, and what, what kind of story you're, you're trying to tell. But, like, you know, if, if you're trying to, to tell a mainstream story, you, 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 make, you sh- generally make it very obvious to people, always, what they should be thinking, mm-hmm. you know? You kind of whisper it to them in plain hearing or, you know, sight, as the yeah, case yeah. may be. Yeah. Uh, and you know, that's not necessarily what they did here. You, you know, it's like there's always there like the trade-off being the people that you know, it, like that's not their the sensibility, the like super duper mainstream, you know, like approach, like they maybe don't respond as much like they they like to to be challenged and and to to come up with that stuff themselves you know and yeah. and when you say out loud the thing that they're supposed to say they'll be like ah you said it you know it's like <laughs> i i knew you were i i thought that's where you were going but then you said it and like i can't get any any credit now yeah. you know you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I I get exactly what you mean. Uh, that's why I don't usually get mad when uh, <laughs> you know, when like people spoil the ending to a movie or you know, like talk a lot during a movie. Uh, I used to get mad about it, and now I just don't, right? Because that's that's just their way of processing it. So yeah, I, I get exactly what you mean. Yeah, so I just like it's like there you you are always gonna have to to you know choose a balance between like how explicit you are about that stuff, your themes and et cetera, and like how much you're leaving it up to interpretation. So, mm-hmm. you know, like, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, it is good to your point that they put that thing at the end that, that brings it into maybe starker relief that that's what they're trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, which is cool. And, uh, and you know, the, the, the problem that you have then is if, if somebody was expecting a different payoff, they may not have stuck around to issue five to be able to read the letter, right? So yeah. that kind of goes with what you're talking about in, in finding this balance in the storytelling. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But, okay, uh, well, can, I, can I ask you one thing, though? Of like, course. Because I feel like, I mean, like, obviously there's, like, themes involved, but, you know, also from a narrative sense, um, I feel like they, they spent... A, a decent amount of real estate in this issue about Abby and like versus Paulo, right? Mm-hmm. Like Abby gets saved and Paulo gets a flamethrower and <laughs> like Paulo's a shitbag, but like, but Abby is working with the government or whatever. But like, what did she actually do? Y- you know, like she she didn't rat out a kind of police informant who was there. Right. 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 It's like that's what dude was was reacting to. But let's say that that had happened. Right. But let's say that she was like made a big deal or whatever. And like somehow they managed to find out that this lady was police. You know, mm-hmm. they wouldn't have gone in. Right. Yeah. Everybody would have would have survived. Yeah. Right. You know, like I don't really understand if they're trying to be like Abby is a decent person and Paulo is a shitbag because like she let everything happen. 
you, you know, and and to the extent that she ever tried to like if cooperating with the authorities is the right thing, she did that from a very personal selfish reason. For sure. Right. So, so I, that's I so that's right? that's kind of I think that may be the reason why you're slightly confused, right? Um I I don't think we're meant to see her like as the good guy in the story and Paolo's the bad guy. I think they're all shitty people, right? And and to go to Joe's point at the end of, of the issue, I mean they're they're all bad. She she did what she did to get herself out of trouble. She's selfish, and and in some ways maybe it's worse for her. Maybe she's the worst person because not only does she have to do this to save her own skin, but she has to betray everybody around her. Uh, you know, granted, it, it probably doesn't matter, right? Because they betrayed her before, right? Like they don't care about her either. They just care about the business. But but part of her getting some redemption includes betraying everybody that she knows and you know, her friends, her coworkers, etc. And then she still has to go on these tours now that she knows that it's kind of a shitty thing to do. So in in many ways she's worse off than Paolo. Sure. Yeah. I I mean I don't like I don't know. She's in in a way being forced to do this stuff, right? Like it's I I I don't know. I mean forced sure, but why? To save her own skin, right? Because she yeah. could easily just not agree to do it and go to jail. Well, do they ever establish why she's in debt to to Paulo in the first place? I don't think so. See, like again, the, the like it I I just don't understand if they're trying to make her a sympathetic character because if you save her the, the, like it, does that have a narrative purpose or is it just yes. somebody like like why did somebody have to survive? Because people love some kind of closure, Travis. Mm -hmm. People want to feel like the world is a great place and all the wrongs will be righted at the end of the story. And so you have to have a character set up in a way that is relatable and, and makes you feel for her so you get involved in the story, even if ultimately that's not the case. I mean, the the dude that got shot in in earlier in the issue seems like a better person than for sure. she is. Absolutely. Right. So like saving the wrong person isn't the narrative answer. Like, I don't know. It's, I guess it depends on what kind of story you're trying to tell. I mean, you know? it, isn't it, though? Because if he was the one that survived, it wouldn't be as interesting a story. Yeah, that's what I'm saying is like, I don't know. I, I'm used to to the the horror story trope of, you know, like people getting what they deserve. Ah, uh, that's not like classic horror, though. Okay. Yeah. In classic horror, you don't really have that. Everybody is shitty, and that's why the monsters are around, because everyone's shitty. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm just, like, again, I'm not saying, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying that, like, that if, if, you know, thematically, if narratively you punish people who do bad things and are the worst more than the people who are less bad, like that 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 will contribute towards the themes yeah i mean it just it depends on you know what the zeitgeist is in the culture right so you know our american culture is founded on like puritan beliefs right even if there's no puritans around anymore 
And so you always want the good guy to win and the bad guy to lose and hopefully like lose really badly, right? Like go to jail or die a horrible death in the movie, right? Uh, even if it's like a supernatural character, right? Like Jason, right? That kind of serial killer. Uh, you still want to see them fail. Uh, but part of you like also wants to see like what happens if they win, right? That's why Jason movies are popular. Because like, you know he's going to come back for another movie. Right, but then you still undergo this journey of like seeing what the experience is like of being chased by Jason. If you knew yeah, that Jason, if you knew that Jason was gonna die at the end of the movie, you wouldn't care, right? And and that's mm-hmm. why like I like I love reading like Golden Age books, but you see that a lot in Golden Age books, where the bad guy is just a caricature, right? The mustache twirling villain, and you know he's gonna lose every time, and the good guy's gonna win every time. Whereas in, in modern comics, it's the opposite. A lot of times, the good guy doesn't win. Or they win and you know suffer a great loss. You're you're absolutely right. Listen, I've read a book or two. Have you? Yeah, I don't know anything though. I just pretend. I pretend to know what I'm talking about on a podcast. Don't we all? <laughs> uh, anything else on Disaster Inc? Nah, I I think I'm good, man. All you right. go first. Uh, yeah, I'll go first. I'm gonna give it a four out of five. All right, yeah, four out of five sounds good. Yeah. I like it. We done good today, Travis. I'm proud of us. Yeah, thanks for everybody for sticking with us on another two-hour episode. <laughs> no, this one's only one hour. This is only one hour. Uh, if if uh, if you had read piecemeal like a good boy, then uh, <laughs> maybe it would have gone too. Uh, which which is fine. I'm I'm glad you didn't read it because I don't know if if the listeners would want another two-hour episode on three books. No, we're going to 1 a.m. Eastern time. <laughs> See, what happened is we made jokes about Geek Brunch, and then we became Geek Brunch. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah, no, no, yeah, someday. That, like, we should always aspire to be. That's true. That is true. I am curious to hear what they're going to think about Lonely Receiver when, uh, whenever they read it. Uh, uh, I, I suspect Mike will, will probably appreciate it. Uh, I'm, yes, I, I think uh, I think Bill likes the book actually. So uh, I think they were talking about him getting the trade in the last episode. All right, let's wrap it up, man. It's been a pleasure as always chatting with you. I'm glad we can do these deep dives in this world where everyone just wants uh, a three minute video on a comic, and uh, we just could not do these books justice with <laughs> just that. Uh, at the expense of our listenership. But if you want to get in touch, you can find Travis on Twitter at The Great Magnet. I'm at Geekvine, and the show is at AfterShockPod. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.